Thank you for listening to the Old English D podcast. New episodes are live every Tuesday, so make sure to subscribe and follow to keep up to date on all the new episodes. And as we always say, go Tigers. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Old English DA Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Casey, as always joined by Josh. How you doing this week, my friend? It's been crazy. It's been a wild last about uh, 72 hours, but we're here. We're recording. We're excited. Have you made your new apartment home yet? Uh, you know, all things considered, everything that had to move and everything that went into it, uh, we're doing pretty well. I think we've got all of the large pieces of furniture in their final resting place, which is kind of a big deal, I feel like. Now, did you think you had as much stuff as you did when when you uh, began this moving process? I feel like every time you move, no matter if you get rid of stuff or, you know, whatever the case may be, you always end up with that shocked expression on your face when you finally see all of your stuff in one place and you're like, wow, how in the world do I have this much junk? Like, it's like, this has to be, this, this can't be a good thing. It just happens when, you know, you, you move into a new place and then sit there for a while and then accumulate some things. But I knew, I knew we were in for a fun one. I drove up to your old apartment now in Indiana and you had one of the biggest U-Haul trailers you could get uh, in the 27 footer. And you said that was by mistake. Now, however, I think it worked out to our advantage. I think, I think truly if we hadn't had that thing, we would have been, we'd been in trouble. What, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, so all all truth be told it was probably my fault in the beginning i didn't go to reserve the u-haul until about two days before which was probably my mistake but uh, when i went to reserve it i was trying to reserve a 20 foot because that's what we used to move down to indiana and i assumed that that size would still work with all the stuff we were getting rid of uh lo and behold they didn't have a 20 footer available so I was like, well, the next biggest size, because we're not going down a size, was the was the 27 foot. And when I pulled in to go pick it up, I was like, ooh, this is this is quite literally one step away from a semi truck. And uh, I, don't, I don't, my driving experience with large vehicles is pretty minimal. I have a a mid sized pickup truck, and that's about all I've got. But yeah, it ended up I think probably being for the best because uh, we didn't really have to worry too much about packing stuff too you know, too much to the ceiling too tightly. And it, it worked out to everything fit pretty much perfectly how we needed it to. And with, with minimal things being, you know, damaged in transit. So yeah, I think all things work together how they were supposed to. It was great. It was great. And it's great to have you back. It was, uh, it was a fun time moving. Yeah. It was just us in Indiana. We, we, we had no help and then we got to, to Michigan and then we had all the help in the world. And when you and I looked at each other, we're like, how did we do this alone before? What did what did we do? But you know, hey, it all worked out. It's it's uh, it's all done. You're back where you belong, and and I am excited to have you back. So welcome back, buddy. It's good to have you back. I appreciate it. This is, of course, the Old English D podcast where we talk only 
ever Tigers baseball. We have some other things to talk about this week, too, actually, because some tangential things come up uh, in, in, in the wake of the week. But uh, we're here to talk mostly about Tigers baseball, and uh, thankfully the Tigers had a better week of, of some games to talk about, so we'll get into that. And then we had some other um, unfortunate things and, and some other things to go over, so we'll get into all that. But if you want to listen to us every week, you can listen to us on our any podcast network that you uh you listen to podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and then also too if you want to contact us on socials give us a like give us a review don't hesitate to do that we appreciate it uh the old english d pod is i believe where we're at in the socials correct me if i'm wrong josh that is correct no that's see one of these days i'm not going to need the correction but i'm glad that i have you here for it um as i mentioned we played some better baseball this week buddy we, we, and we'll start out with the good, we'll start out with the good, and then we'll kind of segue into the little bit of the mediocre, but uh, that twin series, dude, took three out of four, got us kind of close to the to the AL Central, now, of course, things have kind of uh, subsided, we're now 53 and 65, which are now eight games back in the Central, so any hopes are still, still uh, dismal at best, but uh, what do you think of that twin series? We were coming out of that pretty hot, what do you think? You know, it uh, it started off pretty poorly, and when you whenever you start the week with Joey Wentz starting for your baseball team, you know you're probably in for one. Uh, we ended up losing that first game nine to three, and you know Joey Wentz looked awful, and you know as it goes, and you, we we wondered at that point. I remember having a very distinct conversation with it was either you or my brother, where it was like that's 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 the kind of game that can really sink a series. If I feel like for this team. It's happened in the past where we've had these issues of, you know, one bad game can really damage the whole series. And fortunately, uh, they came back and, and won the next three. And honestly, I think only one of the games was even in question at any point. Erod right righted righted the ship, I think is how you correct way to say that i think that i think that works yeah uh, I think that works. on tuesday we uh, had uh, shut out six to nothing and then fajardo gave us gave us his best his best stuff as best as he could we held it together for a nine to five win on wednesday and then we had another shutout on thursday and reese olsen looked like the reese olsen that we saw when he first came up which was which was super fun um it's super cool to see this team win in a multitude of different ways and I feel like that's happened this week, even in multiple, because we had the great pitching in games. We had some offensive explosions, and that is one of some games, even when, you know, the bullpen or, or the starter hasn't been able to do well. And we've had some come from behind kind of situations as well. So it's cool to see this team kind of remain, remain resilient amidst kind of a questionable year to be honest, but I think, you know, we're still overperforming. We're still about four to five games above where a lot of people and a lot of uh, simulations have us finishing, you know, when it comes to our run differential. So it was fun. I like beating the AL Central. It's something that the Tigers have struggled with in the past past few years. Yeah, they're much better at this year, though, and that that's that's a lot better and a lot more fun to watch because you got to play good games against the the teams that matter most. Um, I love what you said about too, you know, not us just rolling over after the after the defeat in the first game. I think we talked about a little bit on the pod last week because we recorded just afterwards and we were pretty down. Now, what was nice was we got some 
pretty good news right after that the Tigers were again moving on from Joey Wentz. And this is going to be a thing, right? I think I don't think we've seen the last of Joey Wentz this year. I don't think that he he has completely written all of his, uh, or I guess in, in this case, all of his <laughs> bus tickets to Toledo um, just yet. But I do think that it was good that he had that start and the twins didn't just look at this and be like, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. Um, and then, and then, you know, really just roll over us for the rest of the series. No, they, they really did not come to compete for the rest of the series after, after that rough game. And so then we were able to take some, take some good wins. Erod really turned it around after, after that Wentz game. And, uh, he had arguably one of his best starts as a tiger, nothing amazing as far as the box score goes. Um, he did give up like four hits and, and three walks, but the important thing and what was really, really big for this team was that he went seven innings of shutout baseball and, oh, yeah, threw over 100 pitches, which uh, AJ gave him a hug for because I guess they have some kind of side bet or whatever of, you know, once you go 100 pitches, it'll be a big deal. Because, you know, and for an ace, for someone who cements the staff and, and really wants to go out there and, and set a precedent for the rest of the staff and for his team. I think that's a big deal. And also we're in 2023 where <laughs> that doesn't happen very often anymore. So a pitcher that can go hundred pitches is, is doing what they need to do. And also AJ typically gives the hook before that. So that was awesome to see. They had a really cool moment there. Um, you, you're allowed to, you're allowed to say it. You, you kind of dusted over it and I'm surprised you didn't take your moment because there's going to be a couple of these moments. Torque had a two homer game. He's seeing the ball really well right now, man. If he can continue this, this kind of trajectory, I'm going to have to redact some statements. What do we think of Torque right now? I mean, you said it right. And even we'll get into it a little bit in the Boston series as well. It just seems like no matter what the pitcher's going to throw, he's starting to be able to put a lot better swings on those pitches. Um, he's he's hitting the ball to all fields, but you know his power's coming to the pull side, which is honestly exactly what we were asking of him. That's what we wanted to see from him this year. Was yet yeah, we like it when he you know goes the other way with it. He puts a good swing on a ball that you know he might not be able to pull, but he still puts it in play with some good you know, with some good exit velocity to it, but maybe gets a hit out of it. But he's also doing a lot of damage to the pull side. And that's huge for him, especially with his struggles with fastballs, seemingly a lot of the first half and then coming into uh, into this year from last year. So it's great to see him like this. I think he's on... S- oh, I'm going to get it messed up. Uh, is he on 17 or 18 homers? I think he's on 18. I believe he, yeah, I believe he just say is 18th. Uh, before that two homer game, he was on pace for 24 home runs this year, and with that, surely he has bumped that number up, probably 26 or 27. So, um, I will be very, very pleased if he can end the year with 25 plus home runs. I think easily that is a giant leap in his progression, and will definitely give some people difference things to think about when they think about the future his future with his team and you know I hate to say it but that's something that will play going forward a 25 plus home run guy playing first base you'll we'll take that yeah as long as we have guys around him that can hit for average mm-hmm. I mean and that's the one thing too where it's it's still missing that clutch element I mean I, I don't know his numbers with runners in scoring position off the top of my head now granted 
I think he has the most RBIs on the team still. But I guess what my point is, is those home runs are, a lot of them are solo home runs. And so I still would like there to be, you know, there there to be a little bit more clutch in there. Again, the average is something we always talk about. He gets on base enough to make up for it. So it's, you know, it's kind of a moot point. But you're right. I mean, the power numbers being where they're at and then also him taking a line drive to the opposite field for a fast, you know, a fastball that's either right down the middle or off the plate a little bit is a really encouraging sign. Will I always still shake my head and wonder why he missed 93 down the middle when he inevitably does again? Of course, I mean, but th- th- there's growing pains and, and that's a thing. I still would love there to to be a, a stronger core around him to make him better because I think something that we've really come to notice um, this year is is the people around him make or the people around Torque make him better. And so I think you know as that core starts to develop and we get people like Carey, we get people like Green, really firing at all cylinders he's going to allow him to fade to the background and just do torkels and things and as you know as it goes right with being a baseball player with being you know this is his second year in the full in, in, in the majors there's going to be moments where it's just like head shaking face palm like what is happening but for the most part he he has done a lot of great things now my question to you is if he doesn't get to that 25 home runs are we saying it's a disappointment in the season are we saying that like you know because he's streaky he, <laughs> he is incredibly streaky and there's a chance that you know he's just on a really good streak right now and he slows down in the next you know month and a half what if he doesn't get to that 25 plus home runs it's still very clearly a win uh with how he performed last year i think he had eight home runs last year um so you know, anything in the positive direction is good uh, for him. And clearly he's already shown growth both, you know, on one of the more underrated part of his games on defense and as well at the plate doing different things. And, and he seems a lot more comfortable. He seems quite a bit less in his own head about at bats and he's able to, you know, stay engaged and stay focused a little bit better, which is huge. And I think a lot of that is because of just and this is also a streaky part of this Tigers team in general, but when this team, we've said it all year, has good at-bats, has a game plan, goes to the plate knowing what they want to do, they hit better. And I think Torkelson is a perfect example of that. It's not, he hasn't come to the plate this year and you know is in his own head, he's yelling at himself. I, I haven't seen any of that this year from him. And it shows a lot of confidence and a little bit more maturity that I think has grown quite a bit moving into the second year of his career. Which is good because he is arguably, at least in our eyes, one of the most unlucky hitters in baseball. Where like, you know, if he if he can still have confidence through really unlucky stretches where he should be getting hits and, and solid singles through the infield, then okay, cool. You know, that, that means he's, he's built for this, he can do it, and he can overcome some adversity. So uh, I don't want to breeze over that Olsen um, outing either. We Another shutout um, performance uh, in that final game to really lock up the win for the, for the series win. Uh, he went six innings, only allowed two hits. He did have three walks, but eight strikeouts. So he got back to what he was great at. Um, he mentioned after the game that he had kind of tweaked his slider just a bit. Um, it seemed like, and this is hilarious because the whole world of sliders is going now to horizontal movement and it's turning into a completely different pitch known as the sweeper, but his slider, he says, works the best when it has that downward action. And so sometimes it's a little hard to differentiate from it, uh, in a curveball, but it's harder. It has sharper movement and he's right. It seems like his arm angle 
is is so over the top and so much more um, integral to to that break being vertical that that's how he fools hitters. And so if he if he can make sure that that's not getting too sweeperish and it gets more sharp decline on that vertical break he can get a lot of hitters out and so that's that's exactly what he did he he made some people look foolish on the twins team and so like that that's great to see we'll see him go again against the twins here uh in a couple days and so we'll we'll see if it if it all holds true but it's nice to shut out the team and then get to face them again in in a smaller series here coming up so um i think he'll have relatively the same game plan there too um brisky got another save pumping 99 all around that game was sweet but what was really the exclamation point was my boy riley took it just it was the longest home run since jd martinez his home run in 2017 right that was the stat yeah i believe so in, in comerica i should mm-hmm. say in comerica but i mean like when riley does it he does it like i mean he, you don't you don't look at him and say that kid's gonna have power but when he connects and when he like he has sneaky power and where that ball left the left the field and what it, you know obviously all the numbers on it, i think it was like 453 it reminded me of of some of the like prince fielder shots and even like the juan soto couple shots that he had in that padres series like that we don't want to remember a couple weeks ago but dude riley's the real deal like he he is he is surprising us still somehow at every turn of the corner and and I mean if there's one dude that's gonna lead this franchise into amazing things it's it's gonna be Riley and if you just look at that at bat he got fooled by the same pitch I think it was it was either the splitter or the curveball I think it was the splitter but uh, it was kind of up in the zone so and I can't remember the miles per hour but he got fooled by the very same pitch couple pitches before or like the pitch before and then for some reason Maeda threw it again and green adjusted knew exactly what he was looking for and just I mean that ball had no chance like it's still flying right now and it uh it was great to see so all around that twin series really really great fantastic momentum boost felt like we really got our our feet under us during that time and just of note something cool that happened throughout that twin series that a lot of the Tigers players were tuned into Michael Lorenzen, Michael Lorenzen threw a no hitter for the Phillies. When did you uh, when did you start catching on to this? I think you texted me first and uh, told me to tune in. When did we start uh, taking a look at what Lorenzen was doing for the Phillies in his first home start? Um, I believe I saw something on Twitter. I mean, th- that whole Phillies game was apparently a wild with a bunch of very interesting things happening. Players hitting first home runs. I think our old friend Nick Castellanos hit his 200th home run in that game as well. I think 199 and 200. I think he had that's 200. true. Yeah, I think it was a two homer game. So I tuned in. It was seven to nothing, and it, I, I I know the Phillies were up to bat when I first start turned the game on, and I knew that Lorenzen hadn't allowed a hit, and I didn't really pay attention and or even think about it. His pitch count. But apparently going into the eight into the eighth, I think it was at a hundred pitches. I was gonna say I think he was already at or around a hundred pitches, so Rob Thompson had some decisions to be made right around then. I think honestly that was the biggest question mark up until probably the ninth inning was how far were they gonna let him go? And you know, being this bigger proponent of the single pitcher no hitters that I am it was so cool to see him go back out for the ninth and 
you know, it seemed like it was without a doubt in that dugout that he was going to be going, going back out for the ninth. And to see how the crowd reacted to him and all of the fans in Philly, how they reacted to the no-hitter and, you know, to him and his family, that was so, so cool to watch. I have nothing but respect for Michael Lorenzen with how he played, how he uh, performed as a Tiger in the Tigers organization and kind of took what the Tigers were able to offer him and, and really catapulted himself into a great spot. Um, all the all the respect in the world for him. That was so cool to watch him do it. I was rooting for him every single pitch, and to see him do it was so fun. Yeah, apparently a lot of the uh, Tigers clubhouse caught wind of it. I even saw a report uh, while it was happening that uh, Erod saw that it was it was going on, and he was like, "All right, I'm gonna go watch this." And so he watched in the clubhouse and, and saw like the last three innings just to see his buddy pitch. And so I, well, they showed like it on said, the right? big board in the middle of the game. Yeah, and then right, and exactly right, and then when, when that was when he actually completed it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last inning they yeah. showed it on the big board in between innings. I think. Yeah. I mean, talk about a cool success story for the Tigers development staff. I mean, you know, like whether whether you're going to pinpoint the pitcher, you know, and his tenacity and his personality and really coming to the Tigers and saying, I want to be better, or if you want to pinpoint Fetter and, and say that, it, you know, it was all on Chris Fetter, pitching coach, to, to, you know, make his pitch mix that much more effective. Or just all around, you know, like, you know, if you, if you want to put, uh, if you want to put the, um, the really just what he did and, and what he was able to do on not only Tigers pitching staff, but also Lorenzen on, you know, you can look at it as a win for Tigers organization in, in general. This doesn't typically happen to us where we, where we get this kind of win, where we get this kind of clout really from, from other organizations. And I don't think Lorenzen really thought he was going to go out and, and pitch as well as he had for the Phillies because, you know, he, he, again, had that rough beginning of the year and got elected to the All-Star game somehow, probably players vote, whatever it was, and then now he just has shoved ever since that vote. And so now to add a no-hitter to his to his title and, and possibly lead the World Series, or lead the Phillies to a World Series, it's cool to see him down the stretch. Now, big question is, do the Tigers make a run at him in the offseason? I think it really depends on you know where where the upper management think this team will be next year, and I think a lot of that is going to depend on how they finish out the year this year. Uh, I think that's something that nobody really wants to have that conversation about because they want to believe that we still have a chance in the Central, and seeing how the Twins played, you kind of do wonder. But it's going to really depend on if this team is at all competitive in the way that they finished the first half or the first half. Wow. The end of the year. And I, maybe, I mean, we've had these reunions before and clearly uh, Scott Harris is not shy about bringing guys back into an organization where they've already had them before uh, with Matthew Boyd. It'd be interesting. I think that Lorenzen is pitching his way into a nice contract, and it's going to also depend on whether the Illich family want to invest that money that way. Um, That is going to get into a whole different conversation on where we think the Tigers are going to be in 2024, how we think they're going to approach uh, the offseason, free agency trades, that kind of thing. And the last thing I think it's going to really hinge on is what happens with Erod. 
how does his contract work out? How does the rest of that look for, for the offseason? And is Erod going to kind of hold the Tigers offseason hostage with how he approaches this this option in his contract? Yeah, I was going to bring up Erod too. I think that's a, a really astute point. I think uh, he, one, is probably pitching himself into a multi-year deal. It's not. It's no longer the the one-year kind of trial run. And he's cemented himself as as a starter. I think he, he signed... Uh, pseudo starter money for like eight million dollars in the Tigers contract but it obviously was just kind of a, a flyer pick with that one-year deal and so yeah he's pitching himself into more money he's pitching himself into a better contract and I think if Erod opts out he's a cheaper choice that that could that could uh it could help a team, you know, he's not an ace, don't, you know, don't get me wrong, he's not going to pitch like this forever, um, but, you know, you know what he, he is, and he's a, you know, he's a known quantity, and he knows the Tigers, and he's been very clear that he he's loved it here, so we want players that want to play for the Tigers and, and love it here. Um, shout out to, to, I know I mentioned it earlier, but the Phillies manager, Rob Thompson, let him go 123 pitches, that is unheard of in, in 2023. Um, and, and to let him do it and to, to actually probably be biting your nails the entire time to make sure his arm didn't fall off was, uh, gotta be pretty, pretty nerve wracking moments. So kudos to him. Everything worked out. I'm sure they, I think they're doing a six man rotation over Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia with his, with his acquisition. So, um, makes sense that, you know, if he has an extra day's rest, they're a little less worried about it, but cool things all around. Happy for you, Michael Lorenzen. That puts us to the Red Sox series. Now, Josh, do you know anyone that hates the Red Sox more than Casey Rose? Um, I think there's probably some Yankees fans that would like a word, mm. but other yeah. than that, probably not. I see. I'm willing to say I'm willing to go toe to toe with those Yankees fans that that say they have bigger beef with the Red Sox because, you know, they're they're doing things. They're they're players all the time going from Red Sox to Yankees, Yankees to Red Sox. And they uh, the players get forgiven all the time. There, there's there's no bad blood there. There's no real bad blood there. You're, you're kidding. I hate the Red Sox, dude. I I hate I want to go to Fenway one just because of all the all the nostalgia the the a lot of the rookies of course were doing the thing they went to the they went to the monster they went inside signed their name it's a cool thing it's an awesome thing it's a great thing for baseball hope that field never ever gets unused and, and tarnished I, I hope they stay there forever but man I just I hate that team I don't it doesn't even matter who's on it I don't it just everything and it starts top down I mean Alex Cora is really a big part of it and that that goes all the way back to 2017 who is probably arguably the real blame for all the cheating scandal and you know maybe that's a conversation for another day but it it really is is all back to to when Torrey Hunter you know fell over the wall and and big poppy hit was it a grand slam Mm -hmm. was it a grand slam in in uh, in a pretty integral game in uh, ALCS or LDS, I think it was the DS, right? CS, CS. Dang it! I, just, you know, I should have gone with my gut and said CS. Um, but it that that's where it all begins, and that's that's really where it all leads to. So, uh, really wanted to win this series. Would have been nice to uh, to take two of three from them, but of course they are a better baseball team. I'm willing to say that. So, what do you see out of that Red Sox series? 
Um, I think we saw the very epitome of the 2023 Detroit Tigers come out. Um, we have struggled so mightily with the AL East this year, but I don't think that this series is emblematic of that specific struggle. I think if you look at games against the Orioles and against against the Rays this year, you could definitely point to that being the AL East-itis, if you will. This series was just so frustrating to watch because it what it it didn't even feel like it, it didn't even feel like we were out of these games and we weren't we really weren't the first game in Boston losing 5 to 2 it, it really just came on late where we were you know school had a rough start and it really kind of put us on the back burner, but we're one three-run homer away from really being involved in that game, and that's just one mistake. You look at that game, you go into the second game where we won a lot of offense. Kerry Carpenter, we'll get into him in just a second. He's he's having an unreal August. He kind of puts the team on his back a little bit. Matt Manning has a really good start as well. But then you look at that game three with Erod. You go into the game, you think Erod on the hill. We've got a really good chance of winning this baseball game and the series. And it really comes out he start he struggles out of the gate. He really doesn't have his typical command. The Red Sox seem to be on everything that he's throwing. And we weren't necessarily out of the game. We were scoring a little bit, but it just was too little, too late for us. And so to lose six to three in that game. It really felt like out of the two games we lost, we were in it. We were never, you know, shellacked in this series, which is honestly a lot worse way to lose. So it's, you, you go into that series knowing that you have your best two starters and to come out of that series knowing you lost the games that they started, you think you probably missed an opportunity. And I, and I really do think it was a missed opportunity. Yeah, we we played better than I think the the box scores and and also the the final line scores played out. I think you know both really the both losses we were one three run homer away from from being in the game more than more than it looked. And so um, Erod had a weird start where yeah you're right like he didn't have a lot of command, but it was just it was a little unlucky with with some of the some of the things. And then what really did him in was there was a there was a play at third where they called him safe. It was, a, it was a stolen base. They called him safe, and he really was... Or, sorry, they called him out, and he really was safe. And that led to one more out in the inning, and then that's when everything kind of spiraled out of control. And so, you know, a little bit unlucky, a little bit he couldn't get out of the inning, and that was frustrating. Scooby, he, he's been up and down, right? I mean, he, he's going to have this thing. He still looked solid, right? I think he hit, like, 99 at one point. He still looks like the dominating Scooby he is. It's just, you know, there was a couple bad bad misses at bad times and then the offense did its thing and just kind of sputtered um seems like when we don't uh, score first or we don't have momentum or whatever it may be it's like uh, okay all right we're, we're kind of struggling to to get back in this and then when like the one blow comes through of either a three-run homer or a two-run shot or whatever it is that kind of nails the nails the coffin for us but um shout out to carry like you said what are some carry august stats do you have those available I do, and I re- we knew that he was hitting really well. 
but I didn't realize how crazy these numbers are. And I think he's not really not getting the credit he deserves for the August he's having. Uh, in 12 games, he has 50 plate appearance, uh, 40, 47 plate appearances. He's got 17 hits, three doubles, four homers. He's got six RBIs, three walks, five strikeouts. He's hitting 395. 447 on base percentage, a 744 slugging percentage, 1.191 OPS, and a 176 OPS plus. That is a guy that you want hitting third or cleanup every single game. This is insane. I don't. I don't. He's he he looks really good. He, it was funny too because uh, Matt had a Matt had a moment. Matt Shepard, uh, our wonderful play by play uh ballet sports he uh was like reciting a conversation he was having with someone i think it was like the red sox commentators or something and uh he was saying that they were asking him like hey is carrie is this carrie guy this carrie carpenter guy real like is he the real deal and as soon as he like said that and and got into that uh line of questioning or whatever and 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 said set that up carrie promptly hit one over the wall oppo and it was like a really awkward like okay shep you can make a moment about this and like say how and then it took him like the entire time to to actually have him say something but it, it was a perfect tee up it was perfect and then shepherd kind of swung and he kind of hit a home run not really at all maybe a double um but it, it was funny it was hilarious because yeah carry carry is the real deal i mean this guy when you're hitting oppo shots like that granted it's fenway right you got the monster there um you really just have to hit it high enough not necessarily far enough but uh when when you have that kind of oppo pop and you're able to keep it fair and keep your uh, bat on the ball and, and really uh, stay, you know, your shoulder locked in to, to how long you need to, to push that ball as far as you do, you're, you're doing things right. And uh, Kerry, like you said, like all the stats say, he, he is the real deal. It, it brings me back to, you know, those rumors that they were, you know, taking some, taking some trade questions for him and, and maybe some, some pondering some deals that, that could have been made. And I'm glad they just, nixed all of those because uh, you know while we have a lot of lefty power that's potentially in the minors and already some in the majors he is proven himself he has proven himself to to be important um and he's he's made inroads and on defense too i think he's made a lot of solid plays out in left or right field rather and uh you know it it matters on both sides of the ball that much we know for scott harris and aj hinge they're not just gonna play someone just because they're bat so he's had to earn his his keeps out in out in right field and he's he's done it he's, he's done everything he needs to do so your boy torque though your boy torque had another amazing game it was the game that we won and so he contributed to the win but what what did your what did your boy do uh during the the red sox win well he went four for four his first career four hit game which is huge for him. Uh, he took some really difficult pitches the other way with some velocity to him uh, for a couple of singles. And then, yeah, I mean, he hit that ball, and I'm not seeing a lot of home runs hit where he put them. And it, it was just so cool. Like, when he is on and he is hitting well, he he can bear off the ball and put it where nobody else can. His power is real. And we really saw it today, or not today, but uh, Saturday when he had that wonderful game. Um, really just the triple away from us, the cycle, 
hit one. He almost hit another homer to center field as well. It ended up being a double in his last at bat. And I, if if he had hit another two homer game, I don't know what I would have done with myself. But yeah, I mean, it's so much fun to watch him this year. Like I was saying before, he just looks so much more at ease at the plate. He looks like he knows what he wants to do with it. I, again, also, as you said, would love to see him with a little bit more uh, on-base opportunities. I don't know what that means for where he needs to be in the lineup or, or whatever the case may be, but uh, still with 63 RBIs, I mean, he's got a chance to get pretty close to that 80-90 number by the end of the year. And another stat I wanted to point out that I, I found out about today, the Tigers all of last year hit 110 home runs. This year, after the Boston series, we are at 114 home runs. So we are moving in the correct direction in a lot of different ways, and I think we can confidently say that the current hitting staff is a definite upgrade from Scott Coolball. Yeah, for sure. 114 is, is not uh, the Atlanta Braves of, of 2023, but uh, it's it's getting closer, and, and uh, we're definitely not going to finish uh, last in that category, so that's, so that's very nice. Um, one thing, Torque did kind of, you know, have an off game again on Sunday, and then an off day today. I hope it doesn't kind of, you know, lead into this twin series because I would, I would like to sweep this twin series. And so hopefully the, the over three on Sunday and then now having an off day today, hopefully doesn't cool him off too much. Again, we said he's our, he's streaky. So, I mean, you know, it, it may come with territory, but, um, yeah, looking for him to have another big series with against the twins. Um, all that to say, I did want to talk a little bit about Manning's outing. And just to say, I really appreciated that he stuck in the game. It was by far his his best out, or by far his, far from is what I'm trying to say, far from his best outing. Um, and he only had one strikeout, and he, he really did not have any command of the strike zone. But he still went five innings, five and two-thirds, he went into the sixth inning. And he pressured himself to still be a contributor in the in the game it was no combined no hitter it was no it was really nothing of the sort but he kept us in the game and I think as if you look at the series and you looked at the pitching matchups and you said okay what what games are we likely to come out with the win here you see Scooball, you see Manning and you see Erod going you're gonna take the 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 former and the latter on that one the middle game eh, probably probably might be a might be a stretch to win so the fact that that was the one that we win is just baseball right that's just kind of how it happens but also too he easily could have lost us that game like there there was a lot of command issues he was not in the strike zone he only had one strikeout a lot of weird lot game of fly ball outs too if I remember remembering correctly yep and then Fenway that's not a good (laughs) recipe for success so probably some crazy outlier stats on that game but glad that he stuck in there he had just enough to get it done all that to say we know how up and down this team is we know how crazy everything that happened to the trade deadline was of the dealing of Lorenzen not dealing of Erod Erod's under a big microscope now for the rest of the year, and he, he knows that, and he, he's kind of owned up to that at this point. But he, he had some interesting comments uh, right before his— uh, it was after his start in the, uh, with the Twins and before his start in, uh, in Boston. And he, he's still thinking that we have a chance at the playoff run. He says, quote, I feel really good about where I am right now, and, what, and I want to help this team keep going. I don't feel like we're out of it yet. We have a chance to make it to the postseason. That's where I decide. That's why I decided to stay here too. 
we still have a chance, end quote. Josh, do the 2023 Detroit Tigers still have a chance to make the postseason? I, do they still have a chance? Yes. Technically, statistically speaking, this team is still in contention for a very, very poor AL Central playoff berth. Uh, baseball reference gives us a 0.7% chance to make the postseason currently. Um, and I think, honestly, if we were in any other division, that would be a less than well, less than 0.1% chance. Um, I do like the energy that he's giving off with, with these comments, with this kind of, uh, the attitude he's bringing to the clubhouse with this. I'm very okay with that because if you're going to be this veteran guy and you're going to have all of these comments and all of this stuff swirling around about you and, how you could have been with the Dodgers and all of this stuff, all of the craziness that we've gone over ad nauseum and you decide to stay and you do and the whole situation pans out how it has. I think this is the only way for you to treat the rest of the year. I think this is the only way that you can kind of maybe win back some good graces of the Tigers fans. And that's, you know, compete, go out there, play super well and try to try to motivate your team to play better because you know in the end that's why Alavila signed him to be on this team one of the reasons is cuz you know veteran pitcher he's been around the block he's been a postseason pitcher he's been that guy on a team and that's that's what they wanted to get from him and he's really attempting to do it i'd have zero issues with what he's saying you know the realist in me wants to look at this information and all of the numbers that I read off, the Tigers are, you know, 12 games under 500 and we're, we're still eight, I think eight games back in the central and all of this stuff. And you want to look at that and be like, why are we having this conversation? Why are we even, you know, remotely considering this as a possibility? But it really feels like if this Tigers team does not have that motivation, does not have that attitude about us, it, we lose all of our, the, the team loses all of its, you know, motivation and willingness to go out there and compete. And that's really tough to grow and get better and improve in that environment, especially for these young guys. So long story short, I really enjoyed that, you know, take from him. I just wish he would have been able to follow it up with a decent start. <laughs> he looked, he looked kind of rough against the Red Sox, which makes those comments kind of funny, but. That's exactly what I was gonna say. It's like it sucks that he had to go out and not pitch a very good game against the Red Sox. And and two, it's worth noting. I mean, his former team, right? I mean, there's probably a lot of added pressure there. It was his first time back, and he he probably had a little bit of nerves going back on that mound for the first time. And so it's you know you know it would have been nice though to follow up those comments with uh, another seven inning shutout performance. But it, you can't always do it. Um, I think he's crazy. I, I, I think that he is, he is a little out of his mind and it's maybe even a little bit of PR talk in there too, just to kind of, you know, assuage his agent and, and maybe some of the other teams that are looking at this and saying, do we really want to, you know, take a chance on this guy in the off season or whatever? There's definitely some, some PR speak in all of this, but you're right. I like the attitude it brings to the clubhouse overall. Um, he, he's really gone out of his way post this trade deadline to, to put himself, you know, as much attention as he as he's willing to give himself, um, he's accepted some interviews from the Bally broadcast. He's 
really gone out of his way in those to like show how much of a team player he is, which is never anything that you would expect out of Erod. He's definitely one of those kind of um, lead by example guys. But it seems like a lot of the pitchers and even a lot of the hitters go to him for advice. He just doesn't like to make note of it publicly. Um, so it seems like he's a great veteran's presence when you know when he's actually there and, and attentive in the clubhouse. Um, but it's a good vibe to have around and it's something that AJ always talks about is the winning mentality and so when you have someone at the top top of your rotation that's willing to do that that's that's exactly what they want to see now again it does not take away any of the the feelings of just opt in then just just do it if you think that we have a chance this year you definitely think we have a chance next year if you truly want to be a part of a winning Tigers team opt into your very very team-friendly contract and then we will I will forgive, you know, I, I, and I, and I don't even have to forgive for what he did last year and all the craziness shenanigans that went on last year. That, that that's in the past for me, at least. I don't know about all Tigers fans, but for me, it is this year though. I mean, that, that, that's a whole thing. And, and the trade deadline went as it did. And so, you know, we, we have some other barriers to overcome. So when, when he has that offer on the table, I'm, I'm very interested to see how he restructures it. I'm, I'm willing to say that he is not going to opt in to, to this deal, but if he's willing to opt into something that's a little bit more team friendly and less of a burden to him and his and his family that matter quite a bit to him, uh, then then go ahead and do it and, and take a team friendly discount. But uh, as far as the Tigers' playoff chances in 2023, uh, light in the darkness and, and maybe a, a flicker of a candle, hope left. But uh, you know, hey, it, it's nice to dream some. Um, something that you and I disagree on is a move the Tigers made earlier this week. Jason Shreve was DFA'd. State your case. Why should this have happened? Well, the most obvious answer is because they had to recall uh, Will Vest from his rehab assignment, and I think he definitely deserved a shot to be on this team. So that's first and foremost, is... I would argue he's not the replacement, but I, I, will, I will stand by that. I, there's a clear other option that he, he is the replacement. Righty-lefty, it's very tough to compare them, but I, I'm going along with your current foundation. Continue. Jason Sharif has been one of the streakiest members of our bullpen not named Alex Lang this year. And that is no more apparent than in his his monthly stats when it comes to his his pitching this year. Something that I think we we had a conversation about earlier this past week was his, you know, when you look at his monthly stats as a reliever, I know a lot of these stats can be pretty skewed by one or two bad outings, but the consistency in the way that these these opportunities were given to him in the bullpen kind of speaks volumes about, you know, what, what he's able to do and what he's the opportunities he was given and how those went. So he pitched in uh, at least 10 games every single month. County March and April is one month. Uh, He pitched at least 10 games, no more than 12 games. And he pitched at least eight and two-thirds innings, no more than ten and a third innings. So that's very consistent. That's a very similar sample size every single month. And it's really apparent in the ERA that you look at. April and March, he had a 7.84 ERA. 
May, he had a 1.86 ERA. June, he had a 5.59 ERA. July, he had a 3.12 ERA. And in his limited time in August, he had in four games in three innings of a six ERA. And the other thing you look at, too, is in the months where he performed very well, he did not give up any homers. And in months that he performed very poorly, he gave up a ton of homers. So any pitcher is going to get hurt by home run balls, and I totally get that. But being so dependent on that as a lefty that doesn't have a lot of you know velocity and has to deal with that kind of thing, it's not something that's super reliable. And I think in a year where you don't have guys like Jason Foley, Alex Lang to start the year, uh, Tyler Holton coming out of the woodwork to pitch very well from the left side, and even Cisnero in his kind of streaky year, I don't, I don't think in a year where those guys don't pitch as well, I think he gets exposed quite a bit more, and I don't think he lasts this long. I think he hasn't had to be in a lot of those leverage situations where his you know, prevalence to the home run ball where it might hurt him. I think that gets him a lot in a lot more trouble later in games. And, you know, if you want to be a great reliever in Major League Baseball, I think you really have to perform a little more consistently. So, um, to be clear, before you state your case on this one as well, we are arguing a little bit over, like, the last remaining roster spot because even to get used... 10 times in a month, that's not a ton. That's not the most used guy out there. And we can both agree that there is a better left-handed option in the Tigers' bullpen right now. So to say that they don't have a left-handed option is just incorrect. Uh, that's not what I was saying. I, I'm just saying, and I'm a state to the union, that quite possibly this amazing other left-handed option maybe not as great as we may think at the surface level. You're, of course, talking about Andrew Vasquez, I'm assuming, because there's no real other option, correct? Tyler Holton. Okay, okay, Tyler Holton, there we go. Okay, so you were talking about Tyler Holton, not Andrew Vasquez. Correct. Okay, not talking about Tyler Holton. Tyler Holton's on a league of his own. That, that, dude, is, that dude is probably rookie of the year in, in most categories. I'm not even, he is an X factor that, that does not even... Not even in this conversation. There's another lefty, though, that we just picked up who was the replacement for Jason Shreve, and the reason why we got rid of Jason Shreve, it was Andrew Vasquez from the Phillies. Can we can we agree on that? Well, I mean, Will Vasquez got called up to replace Jason Shreve. That was the move that was made. No, I know it was the move that was made, but you're you're easy, more easily uh, able to get rid of a lefty if you have another lefty. You you want at least two lefties in your bullet, and, and uh, Tyler Alexander's gone. Yes, we have Tyler Holton. That's that's the one lefty, and then another catalyst is having another lefty in in these X factor moments where where you might need him in the middle of a order bag lineup. It, it's Andrew Vasquez. He, he is the clear competition. Now I'm not now. Everything that Andrew Vasquez has done for the Phillies points to a question mark as to why he was DFA'd. And he has like a 2.20 ERA in like 41 innings pitch. He's like the same amount of innings pitched as as uh, Chase and Shreve. And so he, he's, he is probably on paper a really good option. Now, I just want to bring up one thing, just just real quick. One, his war is arguably the same compared to Chase and Shreve's. One is 0.3 and one is 
or or just basically zero Mm -hmm. wins above replacement. So, you you know, in those things, some things level out. Let's talk about why they level out. Yes, he has that ERA of the 216, and he he looks really good. In the one, two, three appearances that he's he's come out now and and out of the out of the Tigers bullpen, what has been the one thing that you and I have been like? I don't know about this. This this is this is a little questionable. What? What, you, what, what what I said? What have I said the last two times he's come out? I'm not 100% sure where you're going with this. So I want him to throw more strikes. Yeah. I want him to throw more strikes, and I want him to get more people out with a strikeout. He only strikes out people 21% of the time. Okay, so that that's one thing. He has 8.4 walks per nine, his walk percentage. That's that's a little rough. But really, also what I want to, to point out is a stat called fielding independent pitching. And this is really gets to the crux of, of one of my arguments and, and really just why I think Shreve and, and Chasen are pretty much interchangeable at this moment. Just it, Vasquez has some has some luck on his side. Fielding independent pitching is an attempt, and it's definitely a sabermetric statistic, that attempts to take the pitcher, remove them from the field, and say, what would this pitcher do if all the balls in play that they put in play, an average fielder, an average infield average outfield makes those plays right what what happens when we remove those situations and if everything goes perfectly there might be a couple errors there might not be a couple errors whatever it is but we're removing those outlier situations and saying this would be this pitcher's earned run average essentially if some things didn't go their way if some things didn't go their way that's that's important Andrew Vasquez Level ERA, the normal ERA that we're all familiar with, 216, right? Really, really good. You want to take a guess what his fielding independent pitching is? I'm not going to lie. I don't, I, I struggle to understand fielding independent pitching, and I've, I've tried multiple times. You're going to have to, you're going to have to kind of put the training wheels on here for me and, and help me. No, it's okay. So like, so yeah, no, that's fine. So it's like, so a, a pitcher throws a, a pitch in the, in the batter throw and it, it hits it as a ground ball. Okay, there is a chance that that fielder makes an error. There's a chance that fielder makes the play. Mm-hmm. This tries to remove the ambiguousness and the gray area of all of that, right? So instead of the possibility of the error being made or the hit being made or whatever it is, it takes all that away and says this is the true constant. Um, if you want me to read the exact definition from Fangraphs. Fielding independent pitching is a statistic that estimates a pitcher's run prevention independent of the performance of their defense. FIP is based on outcomes that do not involve defense. Does that, that make sense? So, Andrew Vasquez's fielding independent pitching from his ERA jumps up a whole two points. 4.13. If you take away his really good defense out in Philadelphia, I'm not saying necessarily that we have a worse defense or a better defense. I'm just saying in all of his outings and all the things, that insinuates he gets really, really lucky. And I can see it in his few outings that he's had with Detroit. He does not throw a lot of strikes. He hates his fastball, and he he throws a slider all the time. So it makes me wonder if, you know, really what they're seeing is an opportunity to take a flyer on a guy and really do some do some work on, on this kind of player rather than with Jason Treve, who's a little bit older, right, I think they want to take a chance on Vasquez because he's a little bit younger, and I think they have a little bit more of a of a leeway with him. So that that's what I will say. But I think he's more of a project for them than than people would argue or than people would see in in the beginning. I think they want to see him throw his fastball more, and I really think they want him to see you know more strikeouts out of out of his his repertoire. That's 
predominantly sliders and, and really whatever. Now, going back to Chasen, and this is really where I think that they're just arguably comparable, his ERA for the Tigers, like you mentioned, in 40-some-odd innings pitched, I think it was 40, yeah, 41.1, 479, right? So he got exposed. There was definitely some times when he he definitely let the home run ball get out of get out of whack, and it was a struggle. Feeling independent pitching, 4.07. So basically apples to apples there. Essentially the same exact thing as Andrew Vasquez is dealing with. I bring all this up to say I don't think that the option that they have in the bullpen right now is that much better than Chase and Shreve in this current moment, and I don't think he's there to help us win games. I think he's just another project. I think they just like him as another project, and that's exactly what Chase and Shreve was. Did the project work out all the time? No. No, it did not. Nope. I just really liked Chasen's pitch mix, and I really liked, I mean, yeah, you can say I fall in love with the splitter. Maybe I fall in, fall in love with the sweeper. I get it. But my point is, is this Vasquez kid, Vasquez kid is there because he's young, and he's more of a project that Federer can work on. Chasen, a little bit older, and maybe has more of an opportunity if a team picks him up. We'll see. But I don't think Jason Shreve deserved everything he got from the Tigers, and I appreciate his services. Do you have any counter-arguments? Yeah, I mean, it really just goes back to what you were saying about you know both age and opportunity, because... Jason Shreve was given an opportunity, a very sizable opportunity in Detroit, and the op- it seems though the the results may have been a little bit mixed, and that's okay. Uh, out of the bullpen, you're going to get a little bit of mixed the mixed results. Only the elite relievers are going to end up the year with a very very low ERA, and that's why you know I really need to dig into fielding independent pitching more because it seems like that's going to be a little bit more of a telltale sign of how a pitcher especially relievers year goes you know as opposed to era where you know you get dinged with a couple of earned runs here a couple earned runs there and that really just jacks up your era um but it really just like i said goes back to where this team is at where this team wants to be going forward how scott harris wants to approach this you know the rest of this year and going into the future how he views this player development staff is there a whole lot more you're going to be able to do with Chase and Shreve moving forward? I don't think so. I think we've saw exactly what Chase and Shreve can, it will be moving forward. It's really funny. Uh, I doubt he listens anymore. My brother listened to this podcast very early on, and he, he is a big Chicago Cubs fan for whatever reason. And he texted me right before we started recording, and he's like, hey, dude, what do you know about that Chase and Shreve guy? And I told him, I was like, you know, pretty good lefty, you know, all things considered, a little bit streaky, you know, has some good outings, some bad outings. And, you know, overall, he seems like a veteran guy that's been around kind of this journeyman guy. And he was like, oh, okay, there's a lot of people saying the Cubs might pick him up. I think if the Cubs can pick him up, that would be a really good spot for him because there's a lot of options in that Cubs bullpen where he can get the opportunity to kind of fill in as that lefty. I don't think the Tigers are the right spot for him right now. With the age of this team, where this team really looks like it's going to be heading with going towards youth, I think they're really wanting guys they can develop, guys that they can you know mold into who they want them to be. There is a large opportunity with Andrew Vasquez. There is a big opportunity to really flip him around and 
help him control the strike zone more. As we've droned on about, as Scott Harris has droned on about, ever since he became, you know, the president of this team, the player development staff has a very high opportunity with him with the amount of strikes that he throws, the amount of strikeouts he gets. And like you were saying, it's not even like he's pitching to contact right now, which is one thing. If he's pitching to contact, that means he's throwing strikes. He's controlling that strike zone. He's not even doing that. It seems like he's getting lucky with the balls that are being put in play when he's forced to throw a strike. That's a huge opportunity that I think Scott Harris would like to look at and say, hey, maybe we can turn him into something, whether that's a contributing member of the bullpen come 2024 or whether that's a guy that he can flip for something to kind of, you know, nothing to rags to riches kind of story where you, you know, get this butterfly effect of you could turn nothing into a great player. So I think that just shows you where Scott Harris feels this team is at, where, you know, Jason Shreve, he deserves an opportunity in some bullpen, but clearly not in a bullpen where the team is looking to build from not a whole lot to get somewhere better. I don't, I don't, I, that's my main point is yes, he deserves a place in a major league bullpen. I just don't think the Tigers bullpen is the right place for him. Yeah, I, I guess it, it all just comes down to, I think, how you are going to to develop him and, and really I, where you're going to use him. I think one of the biggest strengths of, of Chasen, and you, you like honestly, it's been of question because of the home run ball, but um, you know when he was put into games that, that were uh, in his control, he did great, right? But then he struggled when he came in with runners in scoring position, and actually he's having one of his worst year, left on base percentage, 68.6% um, were left on base. In other words, that like 40, well, you know, 30 whatever percent were um, not left on base. And so realistically, that's a problem, right? When when he has that. He's had years in the past where, you know, he was able to, the, um um, what's the word? The, the runner. What's the, what? No, not strand. Um, inherited. Mm. There's the word I'm looking for. The inherited runner, you know, if he's allowing them to score, that's not great. However, you know, when he's out there allowed to have an inning to himself and, and establish everything that he wants to establish throughout that inning, he pitches fine. And so again, it's just kind of how AJ likes to structure his bullpen. I don't know if that plays well for Andrew though, for, for Vasquez. Um, because, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I can actually look at his left on base percentage. Let's see right here. Um, let's see with, wow. He has been with a lot of teams. Holy cow. Um, yeah, I mean this year, 87.5, uh, percentage of, of mm-hmm. runners left on base. That's great. Um, last year was not so great. 60.3%. And in years prior, it's been a struggle, but this year he's just having, having a solid time of it. So, um, maybe that's where AJ's like, I want to use this guy in, in places where he can, strand the inherited runner and and really get our team back on the back uh batting and 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 get some runs on the board um tyler holton different kind of player right where you know like he he is going to be that big swing guy that can either save games or pitch three innings if you needed him to and so that that's why i wasn't really necessarily comparing Tyler Holton and Jason Shreve um because that that's not really what they were having Jason Shreve do so Hope he gets some opportunity. Maybe the Cubs pick him up for for a stretch down the down the line. But I really appreciated Shreve, and he he was a cool guy to watch. So, best of wishes to him. Are we gonna Are we gonna Unfortunately, are we gonna talk about the up? the elephant in the room of this whole conversation? 
I was really waiting for you to mention it. I am I am not sure what the elephant in the room was. You just like you just like talking about lefties. You you just like the yeah, lefties. and you know what's 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 interesting. What's interesting about that is you would think, and and there there's a whole discussion about this. Scooble, right? Like like you know, like you could argue that that Casey Rose maybe wishes Scooble all the worst in in everything he does. Not true. Let's just let's just go out there. I'm just making a pizza bet that I will collect on this this mm-hmm. year. I want the best for Scooble. But the reason that I didn't that I, he is not my favorite Tigers pitcher, he doesn't have my first name. And so and so you know Casey Mize he he just tr- he trumps all of that. So yeah, I like the lefties. I I do, but at the point, you know, you already had Scooble. He, he's your favorite guy. I couldn't also have Scooble as my favorite guy as much as I would like to. But also it's kind of cool that Casey Mize and and I share a first name. He doesn't spell it correctly though, so that's that's a whole other beef for another day. A pitcher, but, a uh, pitcher should definitely have a, a name that starts with K. That's that's very clear. That's a good point. That's a good point. Much like uh, Roger Clemens' kids, I'll I'll start with K's <laughs> for for his for his strikeout domination. We had some sad news this year or this uh, this week, buddy. Jim Price, the long tenured. Play by or not play by play, color analyst with Dan Dickerson of the of the radio broadcasts passed away this week. It it was it was a long time coming. He was he was getting up there in age, and and he had some health difficulties for sure. But I thought maybe we could just share some memories. I'll I'll kind of jump off first because I I don't listen to a whole bunch of of radio broadcasts. But when I did, Dan Dickerson and Jim Price were definitely the the duo that you wanted to see or listen to. I guess in this case. Um, and I just remember every time that a Tigers hitter would would hit a, a ball hard, it was always a buggy whip. That was that was the thing. And so like my mom and I would always make fun of that. But again, like we would not listen to the entirety of that. We really wanted to watch the games. Um, but I just remember him time and time again. Oh, that buggy whip. There's the buggy whip. There it is. Um, but he started to fade out, right? He, they, they started to transition him out. Uh, even in, a couple years ago, they really started doing like kind of the rotating second chair for Dan Dickerson. But, uh, I, I don't know what, um, how much, you know, it meant to, to Dan Dickerson or, or really, you know, like what he had, the words he, in the comments he had said, I wanted to look at his Twitter account cause I'm sure he made a post about it, but I'm sure he had some words because they shared a booth for forever. Um, did you have any, Shining memories of Jim Price. Just the same as you. I, I really do enjoy listening to Dan Dickerson and, and the Tigers radio broadcast quite a bit. And with my work schedule being what it was for the last few years, I did listen to quite a few radio broadcasts. And so to hear just the different in cadence and, and the different ways that they went about their work, the both of them, and even the guys that had to come and sit in for Jim Price... It's just very clear to say that him and Dan Dickerson, Jim Price and Dan Dickerson, just have this relationship of guys that have worked together for forever and know exactly what they're doing. And it's it's really cool. To, it's really cool to see because I don't think that the radio part of a 
uh, a baseball broadcast gets the love that it should anymore with you know how tv is going and streaming and all of this different stuff the radio has really gone by the wayside i wanted to they tried to outright kill it this year with the with the pitch clock dickerson had (laughs) had to make some adjustments i i swear like that was a ploy by rod manfred just to kill the radio broadcast in general but but please continue what we're gonna say um like you a lot of my memories of jim price come from the the yellow hammer the buggy whip uh you know the art of pitching, just different things. And I think that is the trademark of a true great radio guy, uh, uh, even just a great baseball radio guy. It's just to have these phrases and things that emo- uh, evoke just a very a very visceral reaction to them because you don't get that in TV. I mean, a lot of the TV broadcasters do try to have this signature call or something like that and just... It's just so much different when it's on the radio because you do have to be that descriptive person when you're when you're talking about a baseball game because there's so much that happens. Um I do I do think that it is fortunate for our friend Jim Price that he that he was starting to phase out of this role because I just don't know how the pitch clock would have he, he would have handled it. I think the the memory of him and how he worked with Dan Dickerson on these games where there was no pitch clock is something that should be remembered because the pitch clock really is, is has changed the way that radio works and how baseball treats radio and even how you listen to a baseball game. Now, Dan Dickerson doesn't, you know, describe every single pitch because they do want to have that sort of, you know, conversational feel to the radio broadcast. And I think that's something that's super important to keep in baseball. I wanted to real quick, just kind of highlight several things that I learned about Jim Price, actually looking up some stuff about him. Uh, He was actually uh, offered and recruited to play for Joe Paterno uh, at Penn state to play football. Uh, out of high school, he ended up uh, getting drafted out of high school by the Pittsburgh Pirates. His signing bonus back in, uh, I think, 1960, his signing bonus for his draft was $15,000. Uh, he had some great years in the minor leagues for them. Uh, when he got sent back to the minors for, I think, like a third or fourth year he requested a trade and the tigers traded for him uh for cash considerations in 1967 uh he ended up playing 44 games in that first year he hit 261 uh and then after that for the rest of his professional career he was the backup to the great bill freehand a great Tigers catcher, and Jim Price was a part of the 1968 uh, World Series winning Detroit Tigers team. A great seven-game series they won against the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, something really interesting that I found out about this whole situation in his major league career, the Tigers demoted him in 1971 to the Toledo Mudhens, and instead of reporting to Toledo, he just re- retired from baseball and he really lobbied for the end of what is called the reserve clause which was a part of major league baseball contracts for forever and that's that res- that reserve clause meant that even after a player's contract ran out with a team 
that team retained the rights to that player, even if they didn't sign somewhere else. So that was something that I think really hampered like free agency as we know it today and the way that teams, you know, handled players later in their in their careers with how they if they wanted to change a team or if they were released or anything like that. So it was something very, very interesting. Um, something cool too. Uh, Jim Price worked on cable way back when in the 1990s for the Detroit Tigers. He was a color analyst and he then moved to radio in 1998 when he worked for three years with the great Ernie Hartwell. So I think that's something that probably gave him quite a bit of experience when it comes to you know, radio and the way he was able to work with Dan Dickerson ever since then. So since 2002, he worked with Dan Dickerson. If you're doing the math, that's over 20 years of broadcast with one guy. So that really shows the relationship, the kind of working relationship, as well as probably a pretty good personal one between him and Dan Dickerson. So he will always be remembered as this guy with these quirks, these interesting phrases that he had. But I think it's really cool just what he did for for the Tigers, what he did for baseball, and the relationship he had with a lot of those guys from that 1968 team. Lost a legend. Lost a legend. It, it, so much history, so many stories. And, and I mean, like, you, you think about it. I mean, the Tigers have won another World Series since then in, in 84, and he won the first one. You know what I mean? Like, like just think of, like, think that, like, how much time has passed and how many Tigers teams he's seen and, and all the stories that he could tell. It's it's really, we, we lost a legend. And, and I think... Dickerson would be the first to tell you that uh, he appreciated every moment he had with him in the booth, and they were they were a dynamic duo that uh, it was fun to turn, tune into and just and just hear what uh, Jim Price was going to say. Um, I think in in really hearing for the first time when I was super young that that this that this guy was important to the Tigers team, um, you know, way back when I never really appreciated it until you know way later in my life, and then it really isn't until unfortunately someone passes away that you really get to sit back and, and really appreciate uh, you know what they did for their organization. That was super interesting about that reserve clause. That 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 uh, seems like the players' union came in came in right at one point and during some CBA conversations that uh, to get rid of that one and the MLB thankfully agreed to that because that that seems kind of crazy but uh yeah it, it, condolences to his family obviously um you know and probably respect their privacy in this time but you know in in reality he he was the voice of the tigers for at least the color analyst for for a very long time so props to him obviously uh, condolences to his family and hope everything goes well there but we have some baseball to play this week play a strange two-game series against the Twins. Um, I think uh, Reese Olsen and Fajardo are pitching again. It's going to be virtually the same matchups as they saw last week. So strange that's a two-game series, um, and they had they had tonight off, but it is what it is. Maybe we can make some inroads in the Central and uh, make Erod's prophecy come true. And then we have four games against the Guardians. Now, I would argue this is the bigger series in the, in the week just because we could possibly make a big push for second place. Uh, the Guardians have been not good since the trade deadline um, where they sold for some odd reason, and they have played to that expectation, and they, they have really put some space between them and the Twins for, for first place. So possible push at second place to, to at least get our eyes on some national some national levels. But what do we think of this week's Tiger schedule? A couple of interesting notes about the games coming up this week. Uh, 
with this two-game series being the last time we see the Minnesota Twins this year, the Tigers have already clinched a series win against Minnesota Twins this year. So even if we get swept out of these two games, we will still finish the season series seven and six, having won that season series. Uh, oh, it's the little things. I, it's the exciting things to, we like about I'm here that. To tell you. Like... I'm here to tell you. Uh, we have a winning record against every single team in the AL Central this year, except the Chicago White Sox, who we are down three to four games in. So something to look at. We are up four to two on Cleveland as well. So like we were saying earlier in the episode, Tigers playing the AL Central quite a bit better this year. Yes, it is a little bit worse, but, you know, similar size fish tend to eat on the same food. So it's going to be interesting. I really am looking forward to the Guardian series. That Guardians team seems to always have some kind of energy about them. Terry Francona does some amazing things with those guys, even when, you know, like you said, they did, they did sell a little bit, which was very odd to see. Four and a half games back from second place. Mm. I don't know what I don't know what will be come come Wednesday, but possibilities? Who knows? I mean, there's a chance where the Guardians lose their next series or lose their next couple of games. We win a couple against the Twins. We have a chance to to nab second place. I don't know. Don't look now. Second place, Detroit Tigers. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say we split the series against the twins because that's just how baseball works. And for some reason, again, it's a two game series. And then, yeah, I would, I would really like to take three of four from the guardians. Don't necessarily think it's going to be a sweep. Um, but I think that'd be, that'd be really nice. Now as to what actually will happen, we will probably get swept by the guardians just because reasons that's how it works. That's exactly that's how it works for us, but can't wait. Can't wait to see those games play out. Josh, where can the kids find us? We are on social media. We're on any so basically any social media. You have TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, or X, whichever we're calling that. Uh, yeah, we're at Old English D Pod. If you look us up, we're trying to keep up with those socials. We appreciate everybody that's following us, everybody that's you know keeping up with the pod. We appreciate every one of you listeners. If you guys have made it to the end of this episode, You've lasted through all of our dronings on about Chase and Shreve. Please leave us a review on the podcast. It gets uh, our podcast out to more people. It gets us higher on some lists that we'd like to be on so we can reach more Tigers fans, so we can you know interact with more of you guys, so we can have these conversations. So if you wouldn't mind just giving us a rating, giving us a review, giving us a follow, whatever you can, it really helps the podcast out. We appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. As always, Josh, thank you so much for joining me. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And as always, go Tigers. <laughs>